Grace and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters. <clears throat> it was mostly a logistical decision. In the early Christian church had their work cut out for them. From Old Testament times onward, they, the Bible framed the whole world in two different groups. You were either a Jewish person, an Israelite, one of the chosen nation of God, or you were what is called a Gentile, which just means not a Jewish person, not, not an Israelite. Any diligent student of the Old Testament would be able to tell that these were these were soft boundaries. There were always Gentiles coming in to the people of God, but they still reflected on how are we going to get the gospel out. First century group of Christians finally coming together as a congregation in certain cities, de developing and, and rejoicing in and studying and hearing preaching about the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, his resurrection, and his continuous reign. But they knew they were under strict orders not to keep this gospel for themselves, but to share it. And so they had to share it with two groups, with the Jewish people around them and also the Gentiles. So who's going to do what? Well, Paul says, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry. Paul was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus said when he was signaling Paul out, singling Paul out, you are going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul says, I'm proud of that. And wouldn't you be too? If you were Paul, wouldn't you rather go to the Gentiles? Or who would you rather go and bring the gospel to? Who do you think had an easier time coming to believe in Jesus? If you were an apostle and your job was to preach Jesus, to share it, who do you think would give you the least amount of work? You might make a case that it would be the Jews in the Mediterranean area. And you'd have some support for that. The Jewish people, they, they meet at synagogue every Sabbath. They study the Old Testament. They're reading those prophecies about Jesus. They're living, they're living out that Old Testament lifestyle. It should be as easy as just walking in and telling them, hey, the Messiah has come. Like the chief priests and the teachers of the law did before Herod, they said, yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Here he's come, boom. And then people would just flock to your Christian church. But that's not what happened. At least not some of the time. Because even as Paul, as Peter, as other apostles entered the synagogues and, and shared the fact the Messiah is here, the Christ has been born, what were they met with? With anger and hostility? More than once, Paul was beaten for his gospel witness. One time, the people in the synagogue ran him out of town and threw rocks at him until he looked like he was dead. They were sure that they had killed him. They went back, back to their town. If that's the reception that you get when you reach this group, you could make a case that maybe you'd have an easier time just going to the Gentiles. But what does Paul continue with? He says, I take pride in my ministry 
in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Wait a second. That's kind of mixed messages, isn't it? If Paul is the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, if that's his job, if that's his moniker, then why doesn't he take pride in that? But he says the reason, seems like he's saying, the reason why I enjoy being the apostle to the Gentiles is that maybe some of my Jewish brothers and sisters will see me ministering to you and they'll get jealous. They'll see me sharing the word. They'll see how fast you Gentiles are converting and they'll get angry. And then maybe they'll give me another shot. Doesn't that seem like Paul is using them? I mean, we don't like that. Whenever somebody has ulterior motives, whenever somebody knocks on our door and asks how we're doing, tries to express interest in our lives, and pretty soon we find they're just trying to sell us solar panels. Somebody at your office schedules meetings with you time and time again. Eventually, you put two and two together. They just want to talk to your receptionist. Paul is happy to be, uh, to be apostle to the Gentiles, so that the only reason is so that his Jewish brothers and sisters might get jealous, give him another shot. If you were a Gentile, wouldn't that be disappointing? Paul writes this letter that we call Romans to a, a, the, a congregation of Christians that is a mixed group. This was a new thing, a mixed group of both Jews and Gentiles worshiping Jesus, but they had a question on their hearts and on their minds. Who's better? Who had the shortest distance to travel to get here in the Christian church, in this congregation? Who had an easier time becoming a follower of Christ? The Gentiles thought, for sure, it's us. Because we don't have all that Old Testament baggage that you guys do. We are blank slates. When Paul came in, all he had to do was share Jesus with us, and we, we were bought in, hook, line, and sinker. But the Jewish Christians in Rome were saying, no, 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 it's us. We have the heritage of the Old Testament. We have, we have these practices baked into our culture. It's got to be us. We were the easier sell. But Paul, in these words, he is not going to play that game. He is not going to answer our question of who has an easier time coming to Christ. Because that is just the wrong question. That question itself betrays the way that we think about people, and Paul is guiding us. God, through Paul, is guiding us to think of people differently. Because what do we do by nature? We close the door. We give up. We assess. We evaluate. Every time you interact with someone, maybe you're doing it right now, you're holding a silent interview in your head. You're assessing someone. You're evaluating someone. You might be doing that with me right now. And what are you trying to evaluate for? How hard is this person going to make things for me? How fun is this person to be around? Or are they an absolute bore, a chore to be with? Do I enjoy being around this person? Do I love this person? Do I see myself spending more time with this person, following this person, sometimes working for this person? And if not, maybe it's time to leave. You see, you and I, we have the tendency to judge people on very little information. 
to look at someone and say that's a, that's a Jewish person or that's a Gentile person in, in Paul's terms and to make big assumptions about who they are and where they're coming from and how easy it will be to come to Christ. We make assumptions about people based on what football team they root for, where they shop, what side of town they're coming from, who they support, which candidate they support, what shows they watch, what music they listen to, what department they, look, they work for. And once we have our judgment settled, we're done. We don't need any more information because we've already closed the door on them. We've already wrote the book. In our minds, bad people stay bad. Good people stay good. So if you make a bad impression on me, good luck, because that's going to be tough to change. And Paul calls us on that bad habit. The fact that the way Paul is talking grates against the way we think shows how devious and how sinful this judgmentalism actually is. But in a sense, we got to go further into it before we can come out of it. We skip around in chapter 11 a little bit. We go all the way to the end where Paul says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they, that is the Jewish people, are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God and now have received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Paul throws around a word we don't really like. We don't like using the word enemy. It's so judgmental, it's so final, it's so mean, isn't it, to call someone your enemy? But as we talked about before, whether or not we use the word, we treat people like enemies all the time. We might avoid using the word enemy, but we treat people like we are in opposition to them all the time. If they are on the other side of some line and I'm on this side, that person's an enemy. You can see that in the way that we talk about them, the way we show disdain, contempt for other people, the way we treat some people like they're the real sinners and we're not. Some people as if they're lost and God would have to perform a miracle on them to ever bring them to the, to the knowledge of the truth and salvation in Jesus. But here's the thing. If you say that, you're more right than you realize. It would take a miracle for such and such a person to come to faith in Jesus. Paul is saying exactly. And it took a miracle for you as well. There are such a thing as enemies of the gospel. Paul is not afraid to use that term. He uses that term for the Jewish people that ran him out of town, that, that threw rocks at him, that hated him, that spat on him. But the reason he uses that word differently than we do is he's not closing the door. He's not giving up on these people. The very same people that were making his life hard, Paul refuses to turn his back on them. He holds out hope. He says, I hope that someday they can watch my ministry unfold, watch the way you are being converted, and they can be converted too. Paul does not give up on them because Paul is reflecting the heart of your God. It would take nothing short of a miracle, brothers and sisters, for you or I to come to faith 
in God. Because who are the enemies of God? Who are the enemies of the gospel? It is every single one of us by nature. At this point in Paul's letter to the Romans, he's already explained this. He's already explained how the very first second we breathe, we are sinners in opposition to God. We cannot believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord or Savior or come to him on our own. And we wouldn't if we could. The sinful nature is hostile to God. We want to stay separate by nature. When God says something in his word, our sinful nature says, I'm not listening. When God commands us to do something, our sinful nature says, I want to do the opposite. When God commands us not to do something, our sinful nature says, now I want to do it just because you said I shouldn't, God. That nature lives within every human being. There is too big of a distance between us and God for us to be able to cross on our own. It would take a miracle if you would ever get back into God's good graces. It's a good thing your God is in the business of miracles. That's kind of his thing. And just like Jesus turned water into wine, just like God created the whole universe out of absolutely nothing using only his word. Just like Jesus raised the dead from their graves and they walked and breathed and talked again. You have been raised from death. You were once dead in your transgressions and sins. Jesus has dawned like a light in your darkness to bring you out of the grave of your guilt. You were on a one-way track straight to hell for what you have done against God. Jesus took you off that track by being born, by living, and by dying, and by rising, because all of that was for you. See, all of us, apart from Christ, are characterized by being enemies of God, disobedience to him, Paul says. Jesus came to change that took nothing short of a miracle to bring you into God's good graces, but that's exactly the miracle Jesus has done. He has changed the laws of nature. He has changed your nature. He has forgiven all of your sins. He has reunited you with God. He has bridged that distance between us and God, bringing us into his good graces. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person who had the Old Testament doesn't matter if you're a Gentile person who's a blank slate. The work of conversion is a miracle despite who you are before it. Jesus comes to work that for us all. So who has an easier time coming to Christ? Democrats or Republicans? Somebody who lives an openly gay lifestyle or someone with private secret sins that no one will find out about? Somebody who opposes God, opposes church, they're on YouTube railing against God, or someone who's playing with the church idea but isn't quite there yet. Who has an easier time coming to Christ? Paul says it's the same distance for every one of us. Every one of us, it's going to take a miracle for us to come to Christ. But God is in the business of performing that miracle. People are turning away from their wickedness and sin and believing in Jesus every day, thousands, if not countless times. God is performing this miracle, and he's doing it the same way he did in Paul's day. Nothing has changed. At the baptismal font, 
babies as well as adults are coming to faith as they are washed with water and the word and the Holy Spirit enters their heart, bridging that distance, closing the gap between them and God. Through an encouraging word that a Christian says to a non-Christian to help them in their time of need, God is bridging that gap, creating faith in their hearts, turning their life around. Through the the evangelistic outreach efforts church-wide on a global scale, people are coming to God, as well as the little things that Christians are doing in God's name for their brothers and sisters. God is working this miracle all the time. Paul is proud to be part of the process. Paul is proud to be an instrument of God. See, it's a, the church at this time is making logistical decisions. How do we reach these groups of people? The, but the mission is so simple. Get the life-changing, miraculous gospel that turns people's lives around and closes that gap between them and God. Get that simple message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen to as many sinners as possible. We only pray that God use us for the same ends. You see, the gospel might have enemies, might have people who oppose it, might have people who stand on the other side of the line against Jesus. But we remember that that's exactly where we were before the miracle of conversion. We remember that God loves his enemies. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't close the door. He doesn't slam the door in their face. And so neither will we. Because God loves his enemies and seeks to reach them, so will we. Amen.